Alright everybody, welcome to another episode of the FearCast. Uh, my name is Kevin Foss, I'm a licensed clinical therapist here in California, uh, and I specialize in the treatment of OCD and anxiety spectrum disorders. Um, so the FearCast is a podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, and trying to get your life back through treatment. So, um, typically on these episodes, we go over some information uh, that's going to be pertinent to um, folks experiencing anxiety, experiencing OCD symptoms, and trying to figure out how to overcome those um, and uh, get back to a better uh, way of functioning. While typical episodes will have a question involved from uh, from, a, a, from a listener that submitted the question through our website, fearcastpodcast.com, um, this is going to be a different episode where um, I'm just going to be going over a, a larger bit of information that I think is actually pretty interesting and pretty helpful uh, for those, uh, for either clinicians or for individuals who are uh, in treatment for OCD and anxiety for that matter. Um, and uh, I'm trying to figure out a better way for uh, their CBT and exposure and response prevention treatment to be more effective. So what we're going to be going over today is something called the inhibitory learning model uh, for OCD. And so a lot of this is going to be coming from uh, an article by Jonathan Abramowitz in the IOCDF's newsletter. So we'll be going over some basic information about it. Um, the the five main tenets of it, and then uh, I'll be talking a little bit about how it can, uh, or throughout, I'll be talking about how it can apply to your treatment, and also uh, maybe some complications or maybe some uh, some of my hesitations and reservations about this model for um, for OCD treatment. So as this episode goes, think about how this would apply to you, how you have already used this in your treatment, or what you could start doing and start pulling from this to make your treatment a little bit more effective. Uh, Also, as always, if you have any questions about this or any questions about OCD and OCD treatment or anxiety and anxiety treatment, uh, you can email me. Uh, You can message me through our website, fearcastpodcast.com. Go to the Ask a Question link and ask a question there. You can also give me a voice message. You can give me a call at 714-594-9281. Leave me a voice message there, and uh, I may put that on a future episode. So, the inhibitory learning model. This is an idea that that they're, that uh, they're doing some research on to try to figure out how we can better optimize ERP, so exposure and response prevention therapy, to encourage more long-lasting results. So the first off, what is the whole point of ERP? The whole point of ERP is to work towards habituation to one's anxiety or to the anxious responses we have. How do we define that? The d- typical definition of that is going to be a reduction of s- the subjective s- experience of anxiety and anxiety-related symptoms. So in other words, to feel less of that uh, uh, strong discomfort that people have when we feel anxious and triggered. One of the complications with treatment is that sometimes we don't get a complete reduction of the subjective experience of anxiety. So the, the uh, of a sud scale, subjective units of distress, um, the, the anxiety doesn't come completely down. Or sometimes the anxiety does not come down at all. We just continue to feel the physical responses of anxiety. That autonomic nervous system kicks in. Another thing that sometimes happens is even if someone goes through treatment all the way, later down the line, they might have a resurgence of anxious symptoms. Uh, In other words, they'll have a relapse of symptoms. Um, And it's frustrating for both the individual and the therapist, the therapist working really hard to try to help the client, quote, feel better, and obviously frustrating for the client, the individual experiencing fear, um, because they obviously want to have some type of relief. But sometimes, unfortunately, we can't quite we can't quite extinguish this fear 
all the way. Now, as we've talked about before, when it comes to uh, acceptance, and we'll talk more about this later, but with acceptance, obviously the, the goals are going to be a little bit different, and that's all right. So if our main goal of, of treatment is going to be a reduction of anxiety, and uh, one of the benchmarks for effective therapy is that there would be this reduction, then it must mean the goals of OCD treatment and ERP need to be amended. They need to be changed a little bit. And I think they need to be expanded a little bit to not just include symptom reduction, but to also include the tolerance of anxiety and having a greater ability to rationally evaluate safety and cause and effect with things and have a greater willingness to act in alignment with this rational reevaluation, so the new way of thinking, and a more rational way of thinking. So I like this quote from the article. It says, In order to be optimally effective, ERP needs to help people learn safety in such a way that is strong enough to block out or inhibit the original fear. This is where the term inhibitory learning gets its name. All right, so what in the heck does that mean? Ultimately, it's this. You and I need to relearn and reevaluate what is actually safe. And we do that through experiencing and reinforcing typical responses to reasonably safe situations. In other words, we are adding information to what we have already yet inappropriately learned. So we've already made these inappropriate or um, uh, exaggerated or catastrophized associations with things around us, behaviors, thoughts, um, actions, relationships, the future. And we've made these, uh, um, we have these responses to it that ultimately are inappropriate and unhelpful. So while the initial learning of that fear has been made really strong, which obviously leads to compulsions, we need to learn something new, and we need to learn it so well that the previous information that we've learned about those relationships or places or objects or people becomes irrelevant and just pales in comparison. So for example, and again, this is from the article, we take our original fear, so for example, um, the thought, doorknobs are dangerous, and then we're going to add new learning to it, which is doorknobs are generally safe. So if we were to take another example of an original fear, and this original fear might be, let's just say, I'm a dangerous person, or what if I'm a dangerous person? So that could be one's original thought, and from that uh, initial obsession or the initial fear, it's going to lead into a whole bunch of compulsive behaviors, avoidances, you get the story. So by relearning that likely I'm not a dangerous person, that's what we'd essentially be doing through exposure, is learning that I'm likely a, not a completely dangerous person. Now, I can hear someone out there already saying, Kevin, this really sounds like a compulsion. And initially, my thought when reading this was, this kind of sounds like we're just doing compulsions. Or the other criticism being, just, quote, thinking right, just thinking, quote, normal. Um, I, I, I hear folks say that from time to time. It's the, the, the frustrating, oh, if I could just think, quote, right, this would all go away. But what we're doing is through exposure, typically we're reinforcing that belief. So there's this, there's this kind of theory out there that's saying, maybe I'm not the most dangerous person on earth. Maybe doorknobs aren't, or excuse me, maybe doorknobs are generally safe. So we put that to the test, and we put that to the test over and over and over again through exposures and put ourselves in situations that could potentially cause harm. And we find that through doing those actions over and over again, we habituate to those feared situations, those feared environments or feared places or objects, 
And we tolerate the anxiety that we have when we're there, when we're doing those things, or when those places are around. But please note, the inhibitory learning model isn't being compulsive, because it's not saying everything's okay. It's not saying all doorknobs are safe all the time. But it is saying doorknobs are generally safe. And generally speaking, that's true. For the most part, doorknobs are fine. And it's also not the effort of repeatedly telling myself or yourself that doorknobs are generally safe to the point where I'm finally feeling okay to touch one. So it's not saying to myself over and over and over again, doorknobs are safe, doorknobs are safe, doorknobs are safe, to kind of pump yourself up to be able to do it or to get to this emotional place where you all of a sudden have tricked yourself into feeling that same way. Instead, inhibitory learning is the process of reinforcing through repetition the point that the new learning is now implicit and overpowers the previous learning. So in other words, the explicit thing, the things that we have to say, can often be compulsive in nature. So note with the implicit learning, we're taking something that we would say explicitly, so saying that phrase over and over and over again, and making it implicit. It's part of who we are. It goes without saying. It's just understood. And note, though, that the original thought doesn't fully go away. And that's okay. That's not the goal of this, is to make the thought fully go away. Remember, the fear may never go away either, that feeling we're talking about. But inhibitory learning isn't about a reduction of feeling, but a relearning of safety, a more effective estimation of risk and danger, with the end result of more reasonable relationships with your thoughts and the world around you. Now, a fun side effect may be the reduction of fear, but again, it's about building your knowledge of what is safe and what we can handle. So, as is my way, here's a dumb example of how this could work. So maybe this example will work for some, maybe it won't, that's fine. So, when we're younger, what do we learn? We little boys learn that little girls have cooties, and the, the flip-flop, I'm, I'm assuming. But we learn that little girls have cooties, so we stay away from them, we don't want to touch them, because we don't, we don't want to be infected by their, by their cootie contaminants. However, when we get older, we learn that cooties probably won't hurt me, and that cooties might not even exist. We begin to believe this so much that it overpowers our initial belief to the point that we're able to talk to that girl when we suddenly have a desire to speak to that little girl over there. Now, our original thought was, or original belief was, girls have cooties, and cooties are bad. However, we relearn, and this new learning is that little girls might not have cooties, or it might not be that bad. Now, we learn that enough. Now, that thought doesn't go away. I'm still aware of that thought that was there when I was in elementary school or whatever it was. But that new learning has overpowered that other belief, so much so that I don't actively participate in that old thought. I know, dumb example. You can write in and tell me it's a dumb example. That's fine. So this relearning does take time and can take a lot of effort, but it must be done and reinforced repeatedly and intensely in order for that new learning to settle in. Okay, so as I mentioned before, there are five different facets to the inhibitory learning approach. So they are focusing on anxiety tolerance instead of habituation, disconfirming expectations, the element of surprise, combining fear cues, and variety. So let's go over that first one. 
focusing on anxiety tolerance instead of habituation. So there are three main aspects to this. From the article, obsessional fears are less probable or severe than predicted. Anxiety and obsessional thoughts themselves are safe and tolerable. Compulsive rituals are not necessary for safety or to tolerate anxiety. So in short, you can handle it and it won't kill you. This is what we're trying to reinforce through this first part. Now, if you think about it, when I was reading this, I thought this is really reminiscent of ACT's focus of non-judgmental acknowledgement of the present situation, the present experience, and an unquestioned welcoming or willingness to be connected to all that's happening right now inside of me and around me. In other words, whatever comes, emotionally or cognitively or situationally, I can learn that the feared outcome is really unlikely to be as terrible as I imagine it, that I can tolerate the feelings and thoughts that may come along, no matter what they are, and that compulsive behaviors whether mental or physical, don't actually increase safety of a situation or make it so that I can make it through and survive the wave of anxiety. So focusing on anxiety tolerance instead of habituation, we're really focusing on saying, I can handle this. The goal, so instead of focusing on habituation as my intended goal and as the marker of success of an exposure or marker of success in life, but saying, I am flexible enough and strong enough to be able to tolerate this anxiety when it comes. I can do this. The second point, disconfirming expectations. A key characteristic of OCD and other forms of anxiety is the overestimation of risk and danger with various situations. So it's either that either the outcome is assumed uh, that it'll come with greater and likelier negative consequences, or there's an assumption that they can't weather the storm without the compulsions towards certainty. So the disconfirming expectations components works to teach and reinforce that the feared expectations Oftentimes the feared story that your brain's giving you, we've talked about that before, is actually inaccurate or just outright wrong. So this focus differs from typical ERP goals, where we're looking for a reduction of anxiety. So again, the focus is going to differ from your typical ERP goals, where with that, we're looking for reduction of anxiety. Here, exercises and exposures using inhibitory learning are going to be designed to directly illustrate that the feared story actually didn't happen. So this goes for both the assumption of a specific outcome or the expectation that they simply can't handle it. So let's go for some examples. If I hang around this child for 30 minutes or if I hang around children for 30 minutes, I might molest them. So we're going to do an exposure where we're around that child or around children for 30 minutes or more to illustrate that you didn't actually molest them. Another expectation that someone might have is, if I hold this knife to somebody's throat, because I'm so violent, I'm going to end up hurting them. So, we're going to do exposures where we're going to hold that knife to somebody's throat. If it's in my session, it's probably going to be a knife to my throat. Uh, And we're going to do that for 30 minutes or more to illustrate that you didn't kill me or you didn't harm me. So again, we are disconfirming, directly showing that your fear didn't actually happen. To illustrate the point that you can actually handle or tolerate uncomfortable 
feelings is going to be different than an actual situation. So for example, sometimes we can't really just nail down something that's happening in the moment, but it's going to be something that happens in the future or something that's kind of more abstract. So to illustrate that you can handle or tolerate uncomfortable feelings, um, we may look at homoerotic images or holding those thoughts in mind to illustrate that they didn't result in you all of a sudden turning gay. Or you're going to go ahead and tell a lie and tolerate the discomfort about not being morally perfect. Maybe the expectation is I'm going to be, or I can't handle the feeling that I get if I were to tell a lie because I'll be morally imperfect or just a screwed up person, whatever verbiage you might use. So we're showing that, yes, look, you can actually handle this. So that's the second The third point is the element of surprise. So this element really relies on a high level of assumed negative outcome or outcomes with the specific exposure or situation. So with this component, it's really trying to drive home this point that your anxiety has indeed overestimated the level of risk and made a wild assumption that your feared outcome will happen or will happen to a catastrophic degree. So I'll give you some examples here in a moment, but as we've said on on previous episodes, you and I can logic our way out of kind of a lot of situations. We can kind of reason our way through and into a lot of things in our life. But with the element of surprise component of inhibitory learning, we're going to take that to an extreme. We're going to take it to the point where now it feels crazy and... I defied that. So someone might think, I know that if I touch one trash can, I probably won't get sick, though I do know that there is a slight risk. However, man, if I touch 20 trash cans without washing, I will definitely get sick. So if your assumption is, if I touch 20, then this catastrophic thing will happen, well, now we're going to touch 20 trash cans or more without washing our hands. We might be able to logic our way through saying, you know, I can turn on the fireplace uh, gas for like a half a second. And there probably won't be enough kind of gas that it, that came out to blow up the house. I mean, it, it'll dissipate and, you know, we can logic our way through that. But man, if I leave it on for 10 seconds, the house will definitely blow up. So another might be, in terms of not being able to handle it, would be, You know, I can write 666 on a piece of paper in my therapist's office, and I can handle that because my therapist's office, for some reason, has this cocoon of safety. And I I can do that because, or at least they told me to do it, so I can handle that. But I won't be able to handle writing it on my hand and having it be there and be around me all day. So with this component, we're again illustrating that, yes, even the excessively crazy exposure is doable, tolerable, and not as dangerous as you imagined. All right, the fourth, combining fear cues. So this is one that you can do later in treatment in which you'd combine a number of specific exposures or exposure modalities into one. So for example, you'd combine the listening of a script where you run people over while you drive a car. So not just listening to a feared script separately from driving a car, both of which might trigger your anxiety if you had hit and run OCD. But in this, the, the combination of the two is going to amp up the anxiety even higher and can also be very, very effective. Again, building this new rule, this competing rule that says, actually, you know what? I can handle 
driving, and I can handle this thought without avoiding, without telling myself everything's going to be okay. And through repetition, through doing that intensely, we're reinforcing this idea that I can survive this, or maybe the new rule is maybe driving isn't all that dangerous, or maybe I'm not that dangerous of a driver. And over time, that will inhibit the original rule that says, I'm the most dangerous driver alive, or whatever the case may be. So the last component of inhibitory learning is going to be variety. So within the inhibitory learning model, they argue that learning safety is best done in a variety of contexts, not just one, as it may or may not generalize outside of one specific example. We can sometimes learn that driving in my little neighborhood is safe, but what about other neighborhoods? My local freeways are okay after exposure because I've learned them and I feel comfortable, but what about uncommon or new freeways? What about driving in other states where they have slightly different rules of the road? Adding variety to one's exposures can reinforce that the feared situation is likely to not happen there either. Or that you can tolerate the anxiety in this new place, and that tends to lead to progress by reinforcing, again, this new learning, that I can handle this or it's not that bad. So that's it. So that's the inhibitory learning model. Now, the article is careful to point out that this model in its integration into OCD treatment is still new and is still being worked through. So it may be that the research comes out soon that completely disproves this or shows that it's entirely backwards. Weirder things have happened in the world of psychology. But for right now, it's still they're, they're still working on it to try to figure out how they can best utilize this approach. So as a clinician, I, I generally like this approach, and I think it offers some great insights into what we can do to actually better design or frame the exposures that we're doing. However, listeners of this podcast and readers of the article on inhibitory learning approach uh, should be cautious to not just jump into this if they don't have a good understanding of what ERP is. So my, my biggest fear uh, when using this model is folks are going to hear this or they're going to read it and they're just going to assume that, that, that what we're saying is that you can fully relearn or kind of dog train yourself into never having your fear, not having your fear at all, getting over OCD, and becoming completely fine. That's definitely not what it's saying. Because again, please note that in nowhere did I say, and in nowhere in the article does it say, that you won't have your fear, or even that the feeling will come down through exposure. Again, we're just building this other way of thinking, and hopefully that becomes implicit. It becomes just part of you. And that new learning suppresses that original feared thought so that you're going to act on this new thought more often. I also fear that this could that this approach could quickly become a compulsion to some. So for example, by, by ignoring the first step of tolerating the anxiety and uncertainty, uh, someone can hear, I'm going to learn that everything is okay or safe. Or I'm reinforcing and making this implicit by doing compulsive exposures, meaning doing exposures over and over and over again in order to reduce anxiety, not just an exercise to tolerate anxiety. Now, it's a subtle difference, but it's an important distinction. 
again, I, I don't think that this approach is going to completely supplant uh, ERP as an approach, but I think it helps to kind of give you, a, give you an idea about what we're ultimately trying to do, or one way that we can look at this is in, in terms of trying to make better exposures and different ways to completely frame it to perhaps explain why ERP works. Because we know ERP works, but the inhibitory learning model tries to show how it works through building up this new rule. As always, if you're listening to this podcast, I really would encourage you to to talk about this stuff with your therapist if you're so inclined to do so. Some folks may hear this and say, oh, well, I heard this on a podcast. Now I'm just going to apply all of this. Now, sometimes this this happens with, uh, let, let's use the example of working out. Someone someone goes from not working out or kind of minorly, you know, just haphazardly working out from time to time, going for jogs every now and again, doing a push-up here and there, and they get a gym membership. And all of a sudden, they say, I'm going to go to the gym, and I'm going to get in shape, and I'm going to get in shape tonight. And what they do is they go to the gym, they work themselves out like crazy, and then the next week they feel so exhausted, their muscles hurt, or they just outright hurt themselves. And it's not very encouraging to get themselves back. So I would caution some listeners out there not to just go headlong into exposures and, and, and hear things like combining fear cues and say, well, the inhibitory learning model says that this will help. So I know what I'll do. I'll do all the exposures. I'll do everything I can do all at once. That will work because, well, Kevin said it on a podcast and, and some guy wrote about it in a magazine. It's got to work problem is, is that sort of thing, the combining the fear cues is something that should be done later on down the line after there's been some really good foundations of exposures and the reason why you're doing exposures and the experience of being able to tolerate, again, that first point, being able to tolerate the anxiety rather than just focusing on, quote, getting over it. It's going to make you feel really uncomfortable if you just do all the things all at once. So working with a therapist to help slow you down in some of these things and appropriately apply when you're going to do an exposure, how much you're going to do an exposure, so you can do things within a reasonably safe manner. And to that point, with the idea of this being that we're going to reevaluate safety, one can think, well, I'm just going to fully learn what's safe. But then again, OCD tends to lie to you or anxiety tends to lie to you about what is and is not safe. So the gauge that you're going to have on what is and is not safe is off. So in hearing this, in hearing we're going to reevaluate safety, some may think it's, I'm just going to do the complete opposite of what my anxiety says all the time, and I'm going to then do it to an extreme. This is really going to be unhelpful. And this is, this is also a point just for general ERP therapy. Having a therapist who understands both ERP and has a kind of a working knowledge of this inhibitory learning model will know that when we're evaluating safety, we're not just being haphazard and, quote, and, and actual dangerous or acting dangerously. We are taking appropriate and small reasoned steps. So, for example, some of it was, um, some of my examples were, you know, if I, if I hold this knife in front of somebody, or if I hold this knife, uh, let's say, in front of my therapist, well, I might lose my ever-loving mind and stab them. So we're going to illustrate that for that clinical hour, you're going to sit there with a knife, and you're going to learn that you are able to tolerate the, that experience, holding that knife and that anxiety for that period of time, and you didn't actually kill someone in that amount of time. What I don't want someone to do is say, 
you know, I'm just going to get a loaded gun and hold it in my pocket and just kind of wave it around, and I'm going to learn that I'm fine. Well, things can happen, and things that dangerous things can happen. Obviously, dangerous things can happen in all exposures. Having a therapist guide you through this can help create a better environment for all of this to be more effective. And again, that's the whole purpose of all this, is trying to make ERP more effective. So again, this is a shotgun version of what uh, the inhibitory learning model is. Um, if you have any further questions about this, I definitely want to hear it. Um, and if you have any questions about any other type of anxiety treatment or OCD or want to hear something specific about it, please also let me know. So I know this episode was a, a, a bit of a mouthful or an earful, as it were, and it may not apply to you at all, and it may apply to you even a little bit. But the reason I wanted to focus on this is I think that this is going to be something that we'll be, that we'll be hearing a lot about in the upcoming years. Um, and uh, I just kind of want to start the conversation about this and how we can, how ERP does work and how we can, what we can do to make it more effective for us. But if you have any further questions about it, please let me know. Okay, everybody, thank you again for making it through this episode, this, uh, this special inhibitory learning episode of the FearCast. Um, so please remember that the FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about getting into therapy or have uh, uh, more questions about psychotherapy for OCD, you can visit the website, fearcastpodcast.com, and go over to the Find Help link, and there'll be uh, uh, some information for you there. So uh, as always, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. 